Okay, so um, this week is a podcast. In which we will revisit a topic from a previous podcast, as we are wont to do these days. Yep. So, inspiration. I, I think we should continually call out Calvin for giving us feedback about that episode. Uh, so the episode in question was the "Should we teach kids to code?" and it was the episode for which we were called out for not actually coming up with a conclusion. Mm. So. We, instead of actually going back and covering that again, we read a cool Wired article, or at least I read a cool Wired article. I read half of the article because I'm on vacation. I, I looked at the <laughs> webpage. <laughs> oh, we're so we are, prepared. We are, we are so professional. Um, so I think it was, it was actually the cover article from June, maybe, the June issue for people who actually read yeah. magazines made out of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, so the, the premise of it was... That not only do we not need to teach kids to code, we don't need to teach anyone to code because in the future, nobody's going to code because mm-hmm. coding will be replaced by machine learning and then you will become a computer trainer instead of a computer programmer. Will yep. you still need to know how to code a bit to train? You need to know how the software works so that you know how to most effectively and efficiently train. Okay. Yeah, like you need to understand the crazy math that goes into deep neural networks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you don't actually, there will probably still be coders. The coders will be the guys who program deep neural networks, like create the network itself. But then there will be a whole different realm of, of, uh, engineering, I guess, still, even though it'll be kind of like teaching in which you will take the framework that those engineers have created and you will feed it data so it learns to do stuff. I have a thing to add, which is that, uh, a lot of it has to do with the ways that uh, these algorithms analyze data and the most effective ways of presenting data to the algorithm so that you get the outcome that you're looking for. Um, a lot of So, for instance, with a lot of these methods, you'll typically have different segments of data that represent the information that you wanted to learn about. So let's say that you're training a robot to wash dishes. You would basically record information about how somebody washes dishes for hours and hours and then present the information to the robot to say this is how dishes are washed Mm -hmm. and then you'll train it on a particular portion of the data that's representative of all of the situations it would encounter when washing dishes but then save part of the data for, for later ensuring that it's never seen that data and that becomes your validation so basically you train it and train it and train it on your day on a certain data set and then when you're done training and you're like, this seems to do dishwashing pretty well, you give it a whole new set of dishes. You're just like, okay, here are paper cups. And you'd basically rely, if it's able to compensate for the situation where it has data that's never seen before, then it's actually ready. Okay. Hmm. And part of it also has to do with overtraining, where if you train a system, you generally want to train it until you reach a certain level of improvement over time. Like you generally it's you'll form kind of like an upside down L where it gets really good really quickly at the beginning and then eventually it starts to plateau and just continues to get good, but very slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's basically optimal. And so when you look at that upside down L shape, you basically want to take the training level that it was at when it started to turn that corner. So right at the corner, you're like, this is the training level. Because you don't you want it to be somewhat generalized and not hyper specific to your training data. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
It's interesting because it, because you're getting into the fields of pedagogy and how do you teach, it, it'll be interesting to see if the optimization of training computers, we tend to create neural networks that learn closer to how humans learn. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just because people will have a better grasp on that, it'll become less specified. Um, y- you could make it much more accessible to pe- like non-technical people if the process of training a computer is much more similar to say training an infant or even training like an animal um Mm -hmm. whereas right now it's it it's metaphorically similar but it doesn't it doesn't take the same way yeah so let's actually circle back around because i don't know if we actually adequately presented what we're actually talking about so (laughs) the idea that is that in the future as machine learning and computers become more and more powerful you don't need to code computers because they can more effectively just learn on their own yeah so it's it's basically faster for a computer to teach itself how to do a task than for you to instruct it it like specifically in code as to how to do that task um and that gets into like i was saying the different ways that you can train these machine learning algorithms but then also branches into these interesting ideas of machine pedagogy that Mm -hmm. simon was talking about where you're yeah. looking at how yeah. you actually teach computers and teach robots to do tasks and how you're lo- really looking at how they learn most effectively. Okay. Yeah. You, 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 Pete kind of jumped way forward into like how we can do it best as opposed to, first of all, we need to discuss whether it's a good thing. I don't know. I think that, that's... Well, that's no, it. I mean, what I was talking about was how we do it now, not how you can do it best. I don't know okay. how to do it best. Okay. Yeah. I So I before we get into the like what it means for the like engineering as a whole i think it's an interesting concept that we will have use machine learning for everything because it opens an interesting question as to whether whether we're throwing away one of the big advantages that computers have in some things which is that you don't need to mess around with trying to explain what you're doing you you can you can break it down into very specific logical structures and rigidly define for anything it's got a rigidly defined process it's going this is going to make it more complicated so it would be easy to go too far i guess yeah okay um if everything if everything is machine learning all the time then you can it'd be very difficult to or far more difficult to teach a machine lear- like a deep neural network to be a calculator than just to program a calculator yeah I actually, I totally agree with you, and I have an, an appendix to your body of knowledge that you have just dropped, <laughs> okay. which is that uh, it's also interesting to think about the fact that currently computers can do a whole whack of things that humans can't just because of their sheer processing power and their ability to like mass analyze massive amounts of data very quickly. Mm-hmm. If we have to rely on them learning how to do things that ostensibly are tasks that humans can do because that's generally to a certain extent perhaps how you would view this whole process is that well humans can do everything so if humans can do everything then uh, machines should be able to learn how to do everything if they have the right learning mechanism that's humanistic like if i can know i know how to tie my shoes if a robot has shoes and it has humanistic learning abilities, then it should be able to learn how to tie shoes. Okay. And a lot of times, there's two parts that a lot of times is that that doesn't work because machines don't actually learn that way. Mm-hmm. But the other part of it is that you might start to lose the advantage computers have over humans in the fact that they can do 
massive amounts of data processing all at the same time that we can't do. Okay. So like there there are certain tasks where traditional programming is probably the only way because you just can't learn that task. Is that just particular tasks or is it kind of all tasks? Like if a robot's I watching me know. do dishes, maybe I just really am not efficient at doing dishes. I don't know. And also, I don't even know if that statement is correct, because if I think about it more, a lot of the things that we've talked about in the past episodes, like genetic algorithms and stuff like that, where you're laying out PCBs or things like that, I mean, they they do a better job. And I guess to a certain extent, some of the applications of large computers nowadays, like Deep Blue and the, the Google uh, system that was used, um, DeepMind, what is it? I don't remember. That was used to play Go? Uh, I can't remember. We can no. look it up. Anyway. All of those big computational devices, they've learned complex things that are beyond humans. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can learn everything. Well, it'd be interesting to know. This is something it's probably being researched right now with machine learning is whether trying to teach the computer to think more like a person so it's easier to teach like a person makes it less efficient at working as a computer. Exactly. Whereas if mm-hmm. if we stick at if we go the other direction, we let computers learn the way computers learn, and then we focus on teaching computers in their native, uh, I don't know, in the way they norm the, the way that the structure currently facilitates, then we can maintain a lot of the advantages that computers have by not making them learn in an inefficient way like humans. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's fu- I think fundamentally the su- the summary of this first part of our our thought pattern our thought uh sequence our our knowledge drops okay pete uh, our our learning things our training data is that uh computers probably have to be taught differently than humans because because they one way or another they're going to learn differently yeah Yeah. well or there's gonna there's gonna you're going to find a happy medium between the way it currently is where um like only a handful of people in the world can effectively teach a deep neural network computer and the future where like anyone can teach a deep neural network computer, it'll be somewhere in the middle. Like it'll be an acquired skill, but it probably won't be as like specific a skill set as it is right now. Right. Um, and that, but that skill set may become the future. Like right now, coding is kind of being able to write software and write code is kind of a golden ticket for a job of some sort. And it'll well, be interesting as much as you can have such a thing. Yeah, I, because because code is everywhere right now. It, they, everyone needs coders. So yeah. right now, it's it's kind of the golden age of being a a, a traditional software coder. Mm-hmm. And but that that may go down in the future. Maybe the the universe universally ap- applicable job description may be computer trainer. You can be the computer whisperer. Yeah, it's really interesting. I actually once wrote a paper on this, and um, at least as far as I could find at that point, coined the term um, robotic pedagogy or machine pedagogy, Mm -hmm. because I was basically thinking about exactly this. Like, if you have a robot, for instance, how what is the most effective means to teach it a a particular operation, a particular process? Mm -hmm. And at the time, what I was thinking about was it would be interesting to research different training methods by essentially opening the robot up to the internet and crowdsourcing training by basically saying, come to our website, log in and teach our robot to do something. That just sounds like a nightmare to me. 
you have to have a whole lot of faith in people. Yeah. All of the robots become extremely racist. Yeah. Well, I mean, what what when has the internet ever done something bad to a <laughs> machine system, a machine learning algorithm? You 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 come in and the robot has learned to murder. Oh my you're god. Like, that wasn't even something it was able to do. Yeah. I mean, okay, to, to be to be practical, you'd have to give it a set task or a set particular series of things that it knows how to do. So, for instance, they teach the robot to stack these cubes. Yeah. And you'd be like, okay, you show it how to do it and then work through different ways of teaching it and then say, okay, now teach it to separate the cubes into color spectrum and stuff like that. And so basically, I don't know how you would get the diversity in methods for teaching it, but it would be interesting to have hundreds of people try to teach a robot to do something and see what the most effective approaches are. That would yeah. be pretty cool, That'd actually. That would be really neat. So you, but you've, you've hit on an interesting... Um, one of the interesting points that the article brings up is that the right now code is a very rigidly defined, like when you write code, you write it with some very rigid, rigidly defined logic, you know, theoretically what it's going to do. Um, and like a line of code will do what the line of code says it's going to do. And any unexpected behavior comes from a failure to design that line of code properly in the context of uh, of the rest of the code that's going on or what it's doing mm -hmm. but even with that rigid logic definition of what that line of code is going to do we still get all kinds of bugs where it's like i haven't the slightest clue why my code's doing this um and that's only going to get infinitely worse once we can't read the code that we're writing because that's essentially the machine learning yeah. is going your the machine learning results in a neural network which is code it's just code that is not human readable because it's so complex. It's a, it is a huge collection of mathematical formulae that are all optimized to try and meet all these different requirements for different situations. Um, and the, the sum of all the parts is a system that like a robot that can wash dishes, but you can't open it up and see what any particular part of it does. Um, and so if you make a robot and you try to teach to wash dishes and then it tries to murder you, you can't debug that because you can't read the code. Also, you have to run away really quickly. So, I mean, basically <laughs> it, it gets, it goes back to what we talked about when Dom was talking about PLCs or basically any industrial programming task. If you, if you think back on those episodes, um basically why this is the way back machine it's yeah uh, exactly it's the oh it's wayne's world wayne's world yeah okay. yeah um the uh the idea is that let's say that you are in a factory and you're working next to an industrial arm that's the size of your like the ceiling in your room and it's assembling door panels on a car that weigh like 50 pounds and swinging giant pieces of steel around. Are you going to program that so that it learns how to do the job? Like, do you want to stand next to a robot that taught itself how to assemble a car? Yeah, or do you want to stand next to a robot that was specifically rigidly designed so that it only assembles cars and will not do anything else under any circumstance? Yeah, no transformers or... Yeah, well, it's not even like assembling a car so much as it is, it's moving to point A, and then it's closing its hand, and then it's moving to point B, and then it's operating through this other operation. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's down to the specific level, whereas with neural networks, it's very, very difficult. I mean, if you've ever tried to to train an animal, no matter how well you train an animal, 
every once in a while, they're going to do something completely unexpected. And it's not like you can, through training, like create a 100% guaranteed block on them doing one particular thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, no matter how well you train an animal, you're never going to be 100% sure that it's not going to randomly pee on the floor. Because- but I mean, there are ways around that. Like when I was talking with the NeuroFuzzy episode, you can put a conventional system around it as a safeguard. Yeah. Um, yes. Although the, the more, the closer to like sentient intelligence, your deep neural network becomes the more morally probabilistic that becomes or morally problematic that becomes. Maybe. I mean, it's, it's a watchdog. It's like you would have in any industrial control system where it's basically sitting there and it's, it's dumb compared to especially something like a machine learning system. But all it does is look at the behavior of the machine learning system and if it does anything that is outside of the parameters that have been set for its operation, it just turns it off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 at that point, I guess the question is, how much time do you spend programming that watchdog versus the amount of time you would spend just programming something to do what the, like, the machine learning machine inside is doing? I mean, it would be very simple. I mean, if you look at even... I mean, I know that the the sorts of control systems that we create are... like orders of magnitude simpler than something that a machine learning system would tackle but our watchdogs are basically just like is the sampling rate what it should be if not turn off Mm -hmm. like you have very simple operations and so for this sort of thing even if it's like washing dishes you're just like are you smashing dishes if you're smashing dishes stop it yeah but then but then but then you gotta define what smashing dishes are (laughs) yeah fair. a a lot of the things you're trying to stop it from doing are vague in the context of trying to teach it to do a task are vaguely defined. Mm -hmm. Like it it becomes very difficult to say, okay, if you have released your hand, your grip on something, assuming you're holding a plate and your plate was not over top of say water and you were not going to pick it up with another hand and it's not on top of a stack of other plates. Like you need to look at the whole situation and think, okay, if I drop this plate, will it smash or will it fall into water or will it set down on top of another stack of like, it's, it's so context specific. You could, you could put in e-stops and be like, okay, fine. At least the arm can't swing around and like hit the guy standing behind it. But that's a really simple, simple rule. If what you're trying to stop it from doing is, like scraping the enamel off of your or scraping like the finish off of your dishes by scrubbing too hard. Is that something that you can, again, washing dishes might not be the best example, but if you're, if you're going to give it like the industrial example, um, your system needs to be able, you need to have a set of e-stops, but your system also has to be able to look at what's going on and say, okay, where are we in this procedure? Is there a car in front of me? Should I be doing this? Um, because you also don't want it just like randomly while you're in the middle of an operation, your arm swings around and jams a door into the side of another car or something. Um, yeah, and this, you're right. Because, I mean, the systems you're going to use to detect the state of the operation that's performing are the same systems that the machine learned um, system are going to use also. So, for instance, like the, the door example you're talking about, the state of I am properly installing a door is going to be using the same system ostensibly as the supervisor that would be saying is the door being installed correctly mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. if the robot's like i'm totally installing a door the supervisor's gonna be like yeah okay i trust you like there's unless you have a totally separate way of analyzing whether the door is work the door is being installed or whether or not the dishes are being washed you have no way of actually getting external input 
other than just like every machine learning based operation system has a human that gets to hang out and watch. Well, yeah. I, I, th- that's what I'm saying is that like the way that we as humans uh, perform a task is we're constantly checking like, what are we within the parameters of what we think we should be doing at any given time? But we're constantly assessing those parameters. And sometimes we do, we do stupid stuff. And so it, like, it'd be like trying to write a program, a watchdog to make sure that as you're walking around the house, you don't hit your knee against, uh, or you don't bang your shin on a coffee table. You're like the supervisory program of checking where your shin is at all times and whether it's like on a trajectory to hit a coffee table is a remarkably complicated one. Hmm. Even though the, ta- yeah. even, no, even you're, though you're the, absolutely right. Like the task is pretty simple, but it's, we have, like I have 29 years of machine learning experience as a human machine <laughs> and yet I frequently walk into door frames and I don't think like it would be very difficult to write a piece of code based purely on like my eyesight like an image processing code to say hey there's a door frame and stop me from walking into it yeah okay well what about this i mean look at uh again like getting back to tesla and his grand challenges since we're going to bring up all of the past episodes um (laughs) he like their current um auto driver system autopilot uh, just ran a guy into a truck because it saw the truck and was like, hey, that's an overhead sign. And it was actually a truck. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the their statement, which I totally agree with, was we never said we were going to make a perfect autopilot. Like yeah. we said we were going to make as good an autopilot as we could, which is why it's beta and which is why you have to sign warnings and you have to agree that like you are using this at your own risk and you have to be totally paying attention to what's going on and supervising the machine learned system to try to make sure that's actually operating your vehicle properly. But beyond all that, their ultimate goal is not to make the most perfect autopilot. Their goal is to make an autopilot that's 10 times better than a human. So if you apply that metric to anything that you would create using a machine learned system, if it's 10 times better or safer than a human would be, then that could be good enough. Like there are plenty of people that work in factories assembling doors that every now and then kill themselves. But I, I would say the, the, the machines, but currently, like, if you have a machine which you have programmed, like the welding robots that you see in those plants, they, as far as I know, they never kill themselves. They, like, that's what I'm saying. Is if you're, if, yes, if your metric is 10 times better than a human, humans are actually pretty terrible at a lot of stuff. So being 10 times better than humans isn't necessarily being as good as something you could program traditionally. But is it 10 times better at programming that operation than a human would have been to program the same operation? Because programmers on industrial robots get killed all the time by misprogramming the robot and then getting hit by it. I think that, that, might, be a, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. Killed all it's probably, the time. Yeah. Okay. Killed <laughs> every... Sometimes, maybe. So, Once killed in a while. A time. <laughs> there was a time. <laughs> <laughs> the most dangerous careers up there, crab fishing and industrial robot programming. They just die all the time. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I think I kind of agree with Simon though in terms of like the precision necessary when you're dealing with some of these really large-scale industrial robots, say these like welding robots, it it just for me feels like it would just be easier to program them to be like to tell them do this at this precise moment with this you know parameters as opposed to letting them you know figuring it out on their own i i don't know yeah i i think that that's the 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 
the thesis of the article is that uh, the the original Wired article is that in the long run, programmers will exist purely to dis- to create the framework within which machine learning will exist, and I I think that's taking it too far. I think there will always be a, f- a not there'll be quite a large number of tasks for which traditional programming and what like rigidly structured logic, which we can is which is human readable, will still be the best tool. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be like everything else. It's going to be a balance. There are going to be circumstances where it's good and it works really well, like finance, for instance. But there are going to be circumstances where there's a faster, more efficient, better way, especially when safety is a concern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't I don't think anyone is ever going to fly in a plane that taught itself to fly. As much as you trust it, and as much as the data is there, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Unless, I mean, mm. there'll always be a human pilot because... Are there like there's just there's a humans are not at the point where even with cars they're ready to completely most of the time trust the system to do exactly what it's supposed to do because a lot of times when you're using computers they don't do what they're supposed to do and again they're programmed by humans not necessarily programmed by themselves but there's a trust factor there in terms of human machine interactions that I don't know is gonna be very difficult to bridge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I guess let's let's take this to a logical conclusion and say we since we need to wrap this wrap up a topic where do you <laughs> whatever see... topic we'll pick a topic and wrap it up <laughs> wrap up any topic um no okay <laughs> i i i think we can agree that the that the whether we're if we're reading the article correctly that their thesis goes a little far that that the code isn't going away completely and it won't just exist as a framework for machine learning yeah but i guess the question is uh, to bring it back to our previous, our previous, uh, discussion is where will this put engineering, software engineering yeah. in the future? Um, because it, it's clear that independent of where it ends up, it's going to f- drastically change what it means to be a software engineer in the future. Yeah. I don't know. Where, where do we, where do we see this taking, um, coding? And like, we, we've, we already sort of established in the previous episode, that when we're discussing coding, that it, we put way too much stock in teaching our kids to code. Everything needs to teach kids to code because that's the new vogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that's not what we should be, like, it, if that's not where engineering, software engineering is going, where is software engineering going or where might it be going? So this is probably not an analogy that works, but I'm going to make it anyway because I, without having to think about it too much, it seems like it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, I'm on vacation, so I'm, I'm going I'm to half-ass my, this initial thought. What if it's, it comes down to basically something similar to the difference between psychology and psychiatry, where like there's a there's a field of computer engineering where you create software, and there's a field of computer engineering where you train software or you you create systems that can learn software. And one of them is a more theoretical application of computer science, and one is a more practical, hands-on application of computer science. Hmm. It, like, it, I think there, there's definitely a place for both. Um, there, I think there will always be problems which are best served by traditional coding. Um, but it won't be... Like, right now, everything is getting more and more code put into it, uh, on a small scale, 
but large scale stuff is starting to get more and more machine learning. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see whether that's where the dividing line is, like small scale systems or things with very well defined, um, limitations to a system may remain the purview of traditional coding. But once you start getting to large scale systems and large amounts of data or poorly defined requirements for systems, then you start getting into machine learning because traditional coding doesn't deal with those problems very well. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it seems reasonable. Um, so to make this a practical discussion, then, does this mean that coding stops being a useful skill? No, I don't think it's ever going to stop being a useful skill. I think, no. I mean, there's, they've been talking about this idea since I was in high school. Like when I was in high school learning about programming for the first time, they talked about how there are different levels of complexity when it comes to code, um, all the way from machine code through um, assembly and C and compilers and all the way through to high level code where you're using libraries um, and frameworks. But then beyond that, they, they talked about, even at that point, the idea of an, the next level of coding beyond that being systems that create their own code. Mm -hmm. That was already like part of our curriculum. Mm. And, it's, and it hasn't, to a certain extent, happened at all, where systems create their own code. There's systems learn and they create rules and they create procedures or responses to different inputs, but they don't create code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they And so there's always going to have to be, at least for the foreseeable future, a person who creates that code. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, it depends on whether you consider with neural networks, if you consider the, the, the say, quote unquote, complete neural network, once it's been trained, do you consider that a body of code or is it data that you feed into the framework of a neural network? Like the neural network, sorry, the, like the structure, the scaffolding around it is the neural network. That's the code. And then you have a body of data or does the body of data, the actual, um, the structure of the deep neural network, does that become the code of the program and the, the scaffolding around it is just an interface between the actual code, the neural network and the world around it? No, it's it, true. It's yeah. it, it, it like that's a framing question then of what yeah. is code. Once once code becomes a series of learned behaviors, is traditional coding merely an interfacing tool? You can say sort of the same thing about current compilers. You could say that like to a certain extent, compilers create code that humans don't want to create. Yeah, um, and they they don't do it most efficiently, but they still do it. And so, but it's not like you don't create the code that's interpreted by the compiler. There's always going to be someone who's creating, like you said, the scaffolding that's then used by the lower level process to then actually create the operational code. Yeah, I think that the difference between compilers do it deterministically. If you, if you feed Fair, the same, yeah. you feed the same the same source code into a compiler a hundred times, it, it always comes out the same way. Yeah. You get the same assembler code from the same C code. Whereas if you feed the same C code into a machine that you've taught to be a compiler you're going to get different code optimization on the other side every single time. And some of those times the code that comes out won't do what your source code did. And so that, that then it becomes a much less of a, a much less of a clean distinction between like the human written code and what you end up with on the other side, the output of the system. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. that's fair. Although, I mean, that might actually be a place, interestingly enough, where uh, machine learning might be, uh, applicable would be something like compilers where you could take, here's a set of instructions that are well-defined 
now turn it into, like, translate it into a language that my machine speaks in the most efficient way possible. Like, try to make it as small as possible, try to make it run as fast as possible um, by tweaking things. That would be kind of interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, generally speaking, I think what we can say is that there are increasingly going to be if not whole realms of computer science and computer engineering that are performed by machine learning algorithms, there will at least be pockets increasingly prevalent where these algorithms are used because they are a more efficient way of creating that complex code. And so in the future, it would behoove engineers, especially in software and computer engineering, to gain skills that they can use to apply to those fields where they can be the guy who either trains the system or creates the scaffolding or figures out what learning algorithm is most effective for the task Mm -hmm. or what's the most effective way to teach it or where to get the data from like there's always going to have to be someone who pulls the pieces together and connects them and gives it sensors and gives it data and applies these principles and so it's definitely a field that people should inform themselves of and become more proficient at yeah yeah and uh okay for a change of pace i'm going to call forward to a future episode i want to do because i want to talk to dom again about plcs and uh i'm going to make a prediction that even as this becomes more and more prevalent industry especially like the kinds of systems automation systems that we're talking about with robots and that sort of thing is probably going to be one of the last places it ends up Mm -hmm. just because uh, because industrial systems are so well entrenched that i like there there will be self-driving cars my prediction is there will be self-driving cars with neural networks in them running beside plc hardware from 1980 Uh, (laughs) because because industry will be will have that much resistance to moving into this kind of field just because it's so it's unpredictable it'll remain unpredictable and a lot of industries just don't want to deal with unpredictableness yeah yeah try getting government and regulatory approval on a system that taught itself how to do a particular task yeah yeah exactly yeah it's it's, it's not no it'll it'll be it'll be exciting to see if nothing else like to see that 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 frontier get pushed out but i imagine that's going to be a long uphill battle for those kinds of systems to get into industry as a whole mm-hmm. i mean it's already started where it made the most sense to start which is in research and r&d and it's only going to branch into startups and fields where the outcome of the operation can be non-deterministic because it's not volatile like financial forecasting and stuff like that where if they get it wrong they're just like well i don't know it said it was this <laughs> sorry <laughs> like close enough <laughs> shrug <laughs> so, caveats abound <laughs> yeah exactly but i mean it, you're, you're right it will start to push into other frontiers but you're I, I absolutely agree that the the last the final frontier is going to be systems like an enterprise st- style spaceship <laughs> oh my god <laughs> everyone's mind just explode oh yeah in my head i was i was laughing at the 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 homophone but or the the enterprise software versus enterprise spaceship that's fair enterprise software and also enterprise spaceship (laughs) (laughs) no that's i didn't even yeah it's well played he meant to do that way to go pete yes we're gonna, gonna go back and retroactively make you have meant to do that I doff my imaginary hat to you. <laughs> All right. So uh, I feel this has ended in a acceptably train wrecky way for our podcast. Yeah. I Perfect. feel like we came to more conclusions than we usually do. 
Yeah, we just we just threw all the conclusions in there. Yeah. There, you ha- you happy now, Kelvin? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so if you're not happy, you can contact us at feedback at howdoyou.engineer or you can leave a comment on the website which is howdy.engineer, and we probably won't find it because we only recently discovered that's a thing. Yep. Yeah. T- message us on Facebook. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. If yeah. you want to talk to us and actually have us respond, Facebook and Twitter are your best bets at uh, How Do You Eng. Yep. And if you want to talk to just me, you can go on Reddit because I'm yep. the only one on our subreddit, yep. slash r slash How Do You Eng. Or you can find a really angry meme and pin it to our Pinterest wall. And I will one day look at it. 